So Tim asks, have you ever had that ridiculous experience of telling someone you're going to meet them somewhere, then you're a bit late, and so when you eventually arrive, you don't know whether to go and search for them or wait where you are. I once told a friend I would meet them at a department store in London, downstairs, near the front doors, in the electrical department, before travelling up to grab some coffee on the fourth floor in the cafe. This was in the days before I owned a mobile phone. You know what's coming. I was late. What followed was a comical 35 minutes of each of us <laughs> travelling up and down with nagging certainty that the other was in the other place. Now, of course, there's a version of this which is less amusing if you lose a child in a big place. And what do you do? Do you wait? Do you go? Nightmare. But I'm reminded again of that madness as I read the gospel lesson today, particularly verses 41 and 42. The first person he found was his own brother, Simon. We found the Messiah he said. Bishop Tom Wright, in his book, John for Everyone, uh, says what Simon, what Andrew and Simon Peter thought they were doing was looking for the Messiah. What they didn't realise was the Messiah was looking for them. And I think Bishop Wright is correct. We look for God and God looks for us. It's a two-way deal. The difference is, for me in my department store misadventure, or Simon Peter and Andrew and their search for the Messiah, God in Christ knows where we are all the time. Furthermore, this passage really fascinates me. When I look at popular TV today, or indeed even give a cursory glance at music, sports world, or social media, one of the apparent great desires for many it would seem of this new generation is to be famous, to be noticed, to be popular, to have significance. Look at me. Look at my life, my family, my holiday, my new car, my suntan, my latest meal in this vegetarian, dairy-free coffee shop I've found. <laughs> I'm sure you're completely fascinated and want to know exactly what I've been doing. Oh, and how many followers do you have on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc.? Why, we might ask, what on earth is going on? Sociologists, hmm, you might have said psychologists, but anyway, sociologists might say that people are struggling with significance, significance, longing for a sense of purpose, feeling alone or lost. The media might simply try and tell us that fame is everything, but it's not that simple. This is why John the Baptist strikes me as such a fascinating man. It's not about me, is what he's saying. That's the message whenever people in the fourth gospel ask John the Baptist who he is. It's not about me. He's not the Christ, not 
Elijah, not the prophet, not even a man worthy enough to untie the sandals of the one who is to come. It's not about me. Again and again, John points away from himself to this other. Whether responding to the religious authorities from Jerusalem or even to his own disciples, as we heard. For us Westerners, it seems he hasn't heard about the need for good self-esteem or the importance of tooting one's own horn. John the Baptist had a social networking page. His profile picture would be an image of a long finger pointing away from himself. Whenever he testifies, he's a witness. He tells others what he has seen, gives evidence on behalf of the one who sent him, always pointing simply toward <coughs> the Lamb of God who gives up his life for the sin of the world. In fact, this whole text is a series of pointings. Twice in two days, John points to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one sent from God to save humanity from itself. The second time, two of John's disciples head off and begin following Jesus. Even when his own followers come to him, complaining that Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more people than he is, John continues to affirm the ministry of his supposed competitor. John, according to this gospel, has been given a ministry of preparation. He seems to know it and understand it. But even so, Surely the rapidity with which his own disciples abandon him for Jesus must hurt. After all, he committed his entire life to the service of God. He had been that voice crying in the wilderness. He'd drawn crowds, but now all that was slipping away. Jesus moves into the forefront of the story and John retreats into the shadows. Yet, in his own beautifully humble words of his glorious prayer, words that I love and long to apply in my own life, I must decrease so that Christ might increase. Less of me, more of him. In this gospel, Jesus's first words appear in the form of a question, an ordinary question, with extraordinary significance. In the version that Felicity read, Jesus asks, what do you want? That obscures the meaning of the Greek a bit, Tim says. What are you seeking would be a better translation. And in fact, if you remember the if you remember the psalm, the word seek repeatedly came up during that. What are you seeking? So Jesus' Jesus's ministry begins not with a mighty command to silence a demon, as 
is reported in Mark, nor with a sermon to the crowds who gathered on a mountain, as in Matthew, not with a quotation from Isaiah to proclaim his anointing for the year of God's favour, as in Luke. No, in the John's Gospel view, the most important thing was the question that he asked. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you need? <clears throat> As we begin a new year with all its continued complications, it's a question worth wrestling with. As individuals, as church, as communities. Since our answers will have a great deal to do with what we find, as well as the journey we take to get there. So, what are you seeking? What is it that you really need? Not just on the surface, but deep down into the core of your being. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Jesus poses this question to two of John's disciples who, having just learned that Jesus is the Lamb of God, are determined to follow him. Later, in further chapters, we see the crowds are seeking to have their bellies filled with a little more bread while the religious authorities are seeking to kill him. One group seeks life, the other group seeks death. These two disciples, for their part, want something a bit different different from either the crowds or the authorities. They want simply to be with Jesus. They say, where are you staying? When the disciples respond to Jesus' query with that question, their own question, they're not asking Jesus for his guesthouse address they want to know something about the enduring, permanent, eternal dwelling place of this Lamb of God. The address, the place, is simply intermediate. Where are you staying? Where can we find you? Where can we go and simply be with you to receive what you have to offer? And the answer, simply, Come and see. This question, indeed, captures a primary message of John's Gospel. If you want to know the word made flesh, come and see Jesus. If you want to know what love is like, come and see Jesus. If you want to experience God's glory, to be filled with bread that never perishes, to quench your thirst with living water, to be born again, to abide in love, to behold the light of the world, to experience the way, the truth and the life, to enter into life everlasting. If you want to know God this 2023, come and see Jesus. Amen.